0: Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever and with fishing booker you can experience it too no matter where you are discover your next adventure on fishing booker
1: what is going on guys welcome back of the Fall from front podcast, I am your host, Per usual, Matt, and joining me today is not Thomas. It is my buddy Elliot. How are you doing today, Elliot?
2: I'm doing great, man. This, October is one of my very favorite months. I've got so many big plans, and yeah, it's this is these are the good times right now.
1: Oh yeah, it's you know you've had all that anticipation from the summer. You got like a little appetizer with dove and teal season, and now. Yeah. Big duck is here goose is here in some spots. So it's, yeah, it's awesome. Cooling down. It's, <laughs> it's nice. Nice time of year for sure.
2: Yeah. My bag still is a hundred percent teal. So I have yet to, I guess I've only been on two hunts where I could shoot anything but teal, but it was, we just shot all teal this weekend. So I, I'm ready for some hovering bigger ducks.
1: <laughs> well, hopefully. Um, and I guess we'll talk about that in just a little bit, but we should announce that you're coming up my way this weekend. Um we're gonna we're gonna go out and do some hunting up here in Nebraska in the sand hills. And it, it's looking like we should have a good um some good weather coming rolling it. Well, good weather for us, bad weather for most normal people, I guess I should say. But, the
2: kind of weather we love. Nasty. Yes. yes.
1: <laughs> good north wind, rain, and I just saw today, they're saying even heavy rain and some spots like in excess of two, three inches. So Mm. (laughs) it'll be, it'll be an adventure. We'll, we'll see. And maybe even a chance of snow, it's not supposed to be very warm. It's supposed to be maybe forties, fifties for the highs. So it's, it could be some miserable hunting, but it should be some, hopefully good hunting. Hopefully there's some new birds push in with it.
2: Yeah. So, so to prep me, is there ever a certain type of rain amount that you're like, I'm not going to go, or are you like, no matter how much it's raining, it's time to hunt?
1: Yeah. I don't, so I don't really hunt rain too often just because either it's like, it usually is so cold that it's snow or, you know, maybe during teal season, but, uh, if it's raining and I think I can shoot ducks, I'm going to go out. The only time I'm hesitant is when it's lightning. I don't like to mess around with lightning. Um, mm-hmm. but other than that, I mean, rain hunts are miserable, but they can be awesome. Awesome hunts.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's good to hear. Cause I, I don't recall ever canceling a hunt due to rain or or weather. I I think the the harsher the conditions, the more wild it feels to me.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, I, and you know, it could be sideways rain with if that wind forecast holds up, so. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, let's do it. It'll be great, man. I'm excited. I I give me the harsh weather. I'd rather take snow and cold than rain. I mean, rain would be like the least favorite, but it no, I'm, I, yeah I'm, I'm ready
1: i i hope the forecast change and they drop that temperature down a little bit and it turns to snow that would be crazy i mean because i mean if all that moisture that's supposed to be rain turns to snow you're talking feet of snow wow so <laughs> wow we'll we'll see we'll see what so happens. is your
2: is your personal area and closer over my way expecting a ton of that rain i haven't looked I've seen that it's supposed to rain in my area, but I have not, I have not seen like the specifics of, uh, um, so a lot,
1: a lot of it is, uh, it looks more almost like, I think the South Dakota border almost is Mm -hmm. supposed to get like the heaviest and like Northeast Nebraska too. Um, but who knows? I mean, it, they're just saying it's going to rain heavy somewhere this upcoming week, but I guess we'll find out when it gets here.
2: you know, we need it. We need rain so bad. And we're not like full droughted out, but to have like optimal hunting conditions, we need serious rain. If, if there's just the water where it's like going to crowd all the people basically. And that's just the worst.
1: Yeah. Yep. We're same way. We, we got a little bit of moisture. I think it was in May, June, and then, uh, it just kind of turned off. And then that August, September, just hot and dry and windy. And it just sucked up what water we had. So we're, we'll are we take all the moisture too.
2: Yeah, my my favorite places to hunt are the ones that aren't always full of water because they're not controlled by the state and, and manage the water as, as much. So they have water less often. Like all the places that the state manages and pumps and all that stuff is typically heavy traffic places. So it's like my favorite places often are way more rain dependent than a lot of places are.
1: Well, that'll be, well, I guess, and I should mention that's a lot of it is the high water table. Um, The sand hills has a lot of high water tables, but even drought years. I mean, there was places I hunted just a couple of years ago. Last year, for instance, they were dried up. (laughs) So uh, there's a little bit more water now, but, and it really depends in the, you know, which areas you go. Um, Some are still really drought stricken. Some Mm -hmm. caught those lucky thunderstorms this summer.
2: So correct me if I'm wrong, the the pools and the sand hills, this is my understanding, are the Ogallala Aquifer basically just comes up and fills them from underneath. They're not typically rain dependent.
1: Correct. Yeah. Um, Now, like, yeah, like, but like last year, you know, drought years, it'll go down. But yeah, it's a, it's a high water table. um, And yeah, it is part of that Ogallala Aquifer. It's basically, and I guess taking a big step back if people don't know the sand hills so they're year i mean we're talking thousands of years ago whatever all this sand blew in here just from over the years and then this vegetation adapted to basically stabilize it and then it had you know it has these high water tables so in the valleys there's all these different lakes and ponds and stuff and it's just a really unique ecosystem very fragile ecosystem as well um but that's kind of a little I guess that'd be geological background on the sandhills. It's is almost how they desert-like.
2: Formed. It's almost, not quite, but almost desert-like a little bit. It's got cactus. And when you walk through those hills, it's you don't feel like desert, but you've got that little bit of quality to it. Yep. Yep. It's a cool area. Yeah. I wonder where all that sand came from. Like, where did it blow in from? I've never heard, and I need to research it more. So, and
1: I'm, Granted, I'm a little rusty on my Sandhills history here for how they formed exactly. But uh, it's somewhere from the north, like Canada or something, possibly. Uh, You can look at like the imagery and there's like, I mean, if you just Google the history of them or how they were formed, it'll, I'm sure there's probably some better, better explanations out there, but you can see the direction when that, whenever that main wind event that blew all that sand in occurred. You can still see it, kind of how they're formed today, hmm. like how they how they ended up. So yeah, is the I sand mean,
2: still blowing in? Is it ongoing?
1: No, no. For I mean, part well, like ne- part of Nebraska was under a giant ocean at one point during its history. So I mean, we're talking thousands of years. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm not, you know, I'm not a I'm not soil scientist or geologist or anything like that, so I can't give you too specific of answer.
2: Yeah, I've seen the old maps when the ocean because the ocean came up through part of Kansas, like it cut through the central flyway, basically, because like the KU Kansas University Museum has a fully intact fossil of some huge predatory dinosaur fish type of creature that they found in Kansas. Um, So, yeah, that our whole area from I don't know exactly where it extended was was marine life for quite a while.
1: Yeah, so I mean that's that's my best guess or something. Like where the sand came from is maybe was, there was an old giant ocean or something. it just blew right. it in or yeah. something. I don't yeah, I don't know. I'll have to look into that. I never
2: Yeah. But Yeah, I should research it more too, because I I'm in love with the sand hills. I've been spending time on and off there since about eighty nine, uh nineteen eighty nine, and I've just from the first time I've gone, I've been absolutely in, in love with it it just has a unique feel to it that that it almost it almost feels like the vastness of a mountain range except cuz when you look off and you stand on a hill and you look off, all you see is sand hills rolling if you're in the right place yeah and, i mean and it, that feel is kind of like mountainous it feel not you know
1: no the, i i i totally understand exactly i mean that's part of the allure to me at least um you know that just the the beauty of the sand yeah. hills um and they just stretch on for miles like i don't I, I don't even know the square i can't even tell you off the top of my head how many square miles they are but it's a huge huge region and i mean it's it just all kinds of cool wildlife out there i mean there's antelope and mule deer and whitetails and uh you can even see elk in some places so there's it it's just a, such a cool area and the 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 yeah, flora and fauna both are well adapted for there and just it's it's a very unique unique place and it's a very special
2: place to me. So. Right, and you can't farm it. Which you can't is farm it, thankfully, no. you can't farm it, which is why it's still there, I would assume. And do they do they I don't I don't think they even really graze it, do they?
1: Yeah, so that's pretty much the primary land use for the Sandhills now is uh grazing and haying land. Um they'll hay like the sub-irrigated me- uh, meadows or any mm-hmm. really flat spots and then uh they The ranchers out there, they have to make sure that they graze it very carefully because, you know, if you hit it too hard, especially in the drier years, you can cause blowouts. I mean, that that if you kill that grass, that predominant um, cover type, then you're just going to have your, you know, your pasture blow. It's just going to turn back to sand essentially. So um, they're very, very intensive with their trying to find the right word here they're very um, careful how they graze their lands though
2: yeah and you can find sections certain uh national parks out there that you can just go walking you, you take off walking and it's like it's just so vast and you really i'm always searching for that that feeling of isolation in my hunting and the Sand Hills certainly provides that we used to walk prairie chickens and uh, sharp tails that's how we first what we started pike fishing um, first, this is why we went there. But then we moved into Sharptail and Prairie Chicken Honey, where you just walk the ridges and walk the hills and look for the little berry. I don't know what kind of berries there are. We'd always flush them out of these little berry bushes. And and the vastness of it is it's, it's just spectacular.
1: Yeah. So I guess I, I should apologize if I'm uh, not super coherent today. I've been up for at this point fourteen hours now. I just uh, literally just got back about an hour ago from a hunt in the Sandhills. So shot
2: another limit, another I, limit I, down.
1: I did. Yes, it was a it was a good day. It was pretty. It was a little slower today. Um, so this is the third day of duck season being open here in Nebraska across a couple of our zones, and the last two days were really calm conditions. Today we had a thick fog roll in, and it really just, all the bird movement quit. So we, we passed up a ton of shovelers first thing. And um, we had a mallard drake in our decoys, like right after shooting, I didn't see it. My buddy saw it and he, he's like, do you want to shoot this mallard? I'm like, what? I don't, where's he at? <laughs> so, and then he flew away. So we, we didn't, needless to say, we didn't shoot the mallard. But uh once the fog burned up or burned off, we actually got a few, um, a little breath of wind and it started kicking up and now it's going pretty good. But, uh, we, we would have pairs and singles of teal and a few gadwall and some, some more shoveler, of course, uh, kind of work around. And so I just picked away at them and then, uh, did some jump shooting afterwards.
2: How many, um, or who, who are you with today? I
1: was with my buddy Tyler and then his two boys.
2: So you've already shot two, two Mallard Drakes this year, though. I'm looking at your numbers.
1: Yep. Yeah, I got one opening day and then one yesterday. And both were actual greenheads. Like, they were pretty well plumed.
2: That's awesome. That's the one drawback, because I'm seeing, you know, Jordan was up in Dakota, and I'm watching other guys up there, is is all those ducks are so brown. And don't get me wrong, I would love to go on those hunts, but the, the downside of those hunts up north are all the brown ducks.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, you know part of the unfortunate part and i guess it's really nitpicking but you know but it's
2: a big deal yeah. to me i mean like shooting a brown mallard drake versus a beautiful one to me feels uh, quite a bit different
1: yeah no i mean i would love like blue wing teal i would love if i could shoot some nice fully plumed drakes but uh you know and it, it it's weird it's it's like a maturity thing because I was just scouting yesterday, and there was—I saw a handful of nice greenheads swimming around on this one pond. And then, uh, opening morning, I shot a pretty, pretty much fully plumed redhead drake. So, it it really just varies from bird to bird, I think, and I think that's an age thing.
2: Mm Hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't mind the brown teal. I guess because I just I, we never shoot the plumed ones, so that's just how they are. And and they still have the the beautiful blue patch, yeah, which is kind of my focus.
1: Yep, I I, I have been shooting. Uh, well, even today, I guess I got a couple nice straight green wings that you can see the copper on their head coming in. And one was, mm. I mean, he had the green swoop too. So
2: nice. You've already got 67 ducks on the year. Jeez. (laughs) It's a lot. 4.7 average. Yeah. You're, you're having a good year.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, I went back out to Wyoming last year, uh, last, last year, last week. Um, I guess I, I never even talked about that on here, but went out there, was able to bag my first Wyoming duck. And then the next day shot a Wyoming duck limit and a crane. So that was awesome. That was that. Have you put that video out yet? Yeah, both my Wyoming day, both my Wyoming uh, duck hunts are out.
2: I got I gotta watch those because it looks so unique. Because it's like that that riverbed seemed like it was mostly rocky from the pictures I saw that you shared with the flyways guys. It looked like it was a rock bed.
1: Yeah, it was. I was a pretty good chunk into Wyoming. That's about all I can say there. But
2: it was. I wonder why those ducks were wanting in there on a river like that.
1: I I could not believe it. Blue winged teal on a river. I was it was crazy. But
2: the, I wonder what they're the doing high, in there. I wonder what wonder what they're like. What are they getting out of it other than just water?
1: I mean, we were hunting like a side pocket, kind of some slack water. So maybe that's where you know some invertebrates kind of catch up mm-hmm. or something. I I don't know for sure. But uh, the opening day out there. We didn't really see a ton for birds. I think we only ended with 10 or 11 between three guys. And actually, we're decoying geese more than uh, ducks. We would call in singles and pairs. But I I was hearing cranes the whole morning, and they'll just go and land out in the field. And if you've ever heard cranes, they don't have to be close to sound super loud. And you think they're closer than they actually are. so, (laughs) So all morning, opening day, I'm hearing these cranes. And they're, you know, they're doing their calls. And so I'm like, oh, they're, they're coming. They're coming. I'm doing mouth calls you know, I'm going, (laughs) trying, trying to call these cranes, like trying to get them to fly over (laughs) and nothing, nothing even came close the first day. And so the second morning rolls by and I hear these cranes and I don't even get excited. I'm just like, yeah, they're going out to the field and it keeps getting closer and my bu- my buddy's like, grab your gun. <laughs> and sure enough, here comes two cranes about 15, 20 yards on my side. And I just pull up, and drop one. So
2: how excited uh, were you about that?
1: I felt like I just shot a giant bull elk or a huge white tail <laughs> buck. Like it was, it was nuts. <laughs> and like, you can see it in the video. I kind of like, I'm just super pumped and super excited about it. So <laughs>
2: Well, how have I not watched that yet? I can't. I'm disappointed in myself. I've been busy. I don't know how I haven't watched that yet. So, so, uh, how close were you to a tear? One tear coming down.
1: To, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't think I was tearing up, but I was.
2: <laughs> you were happy. I was yes, exuberant. <laughs> oh, that's great. Have you eaten it yet?
1: I I haven't. I I I mean, I portioned it off. So the breasts are about a little bigger than a big Canada goose, I would say. And I cut that into quarters and then I, um, vacuum sealed all those. Cause I, I told my dad I'd bring him some to try. My buddy cooked it for lunch the day before, uh, very little seasoning and they call it ribeye of the sky and right. it lives up to the name. It is delicious. So I saved all, I've saved both breasts and then I took the legs and thighs out and I, uh, Got those in the freezer too, so I'm just I'm kind of partition that out. I, I want to savor that rather than you know just try to eat it up as quick as possible.
2: Yeah, uh, how, how much meat is on the legs and thighs?
1: Uh, I'd say it's similar to a turkey. If you wild, ever mm. like a wild turkey, if you ever take the legs and thighs off wild turkey, mm-hmm. it's probably about that. Do you to take the legs off your,
2: ge- off your geese when you shoot them?
1: Uh, a fair amount I do. Um, one of my favorite recipes is. You just take the thighs and legs and you like three or four and you throw them in a crock pot and you just slow cook it and you make mm-hmm. goose and noodles. It tastes like just, just like beef and noodles. It'll mm. fall off the bone and you shred it with that, uh, like some brown gravy or something.
2: Hmm. Nice. nice. Yeah.
1: It's, it's tasty.
2: I bet it is. Yeah. I need to, I don't know if I'll ever shoot a crane or not. We'll have to see. I imagine eventually I probably will.
1: I think Kansas has a season for them.
2: It's in an isolated little section and, and uh, as far as I know, and I think you have to actually, like, I don't, I've never even come close even thinking about having one come by in the marsh. We'll hear him at nights and every now and then we'll see him up high, but like, I've never seen them actually work in a marsh.
1: I've, I've had them land within shotgun range before duck hunting. And I've heard them in the marsh before shooting light, but. Nebraska is like the only state around every other state. I believe you can hunt cranes except Nebraska. And it's because of all the birding in the springtime or whatever. And it's like, you don't hunt them in the spring, you know, just let us hunt them in the fall. (laughs) So
2: why, why, why don't they let people hunt them in Nebraska?
1: It's, it's pretty much political at this point. So like, so the bottleneck of the crane migration in the springtime comes up on the Platte river around Kearney, Nebraska. That's, That's where, if you want to go take pictures of cranes in the springtime, everyone goes there. It's a big, well-known tourist hotspot for, go see the cranes. And you can just drive down I-80 in March to April, and you'll see cranes up and and down in the cornfields. And they bottleneck there. Mm -hmm. Well, because of that, there's all this basically political pressure that, you know, people could twist it and be like, oh, you're going to hurt the crane migration, or you're going to hurt. And it's like, they hunt them in Kansas, they hunt them in Oklahoma, they hunt them in Texas. And then they come back through here and they hunt them in South Dakota and they hunt them in North Dakota, Wyoming, Colorado. I mean,
2: so. So they've yeah. seeped into the culture of Nebraska to where it's vastly extended past like hunters and that's, and now they're like defensive and paranoid about it and trying to protect it. Cause it's a cultural, a cultural thing.
1: That's my best guess um, yeah. from talking to some people about it. I mean, it's like kind of like uh, Michigan and you know, they can't shoot morning doves. So like people, they're songbirds and yeah really are you kidding me no you didn't know that no no uh is it scott hill i think he's from michigan you gotta ask him about that
2: but yeah yeah he he's a patron he was on the podcast as the patron winner i would have loved to have talked to him about that he's a cool guy
1: yeah but that's crazy that's my best You know, that's my theory for why we can't shoot cranes here in Nebraska.
2: So, you know, Benjamin Franklin almost got it done where the turkey was our national bird. Just think if that had happened. We probably wouldn't be able to hunt turkeys. That would stink. Turkeys are so cool. I (laughs) I know you would shed a tear if you could no longer hunt turkeys. No, I, yeah. Turkey hunting. You're a turkey guy through and through.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I love my duck and goose, but May, late April, May, when they're all fired up, get a big strutter coming in.
2: Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) yeah it it is i don't man i if i i kind of sad how lazy i am about it i just don't have like the land and it's like i don't have it readily available here like i did when i was because when i was growing up at one point in time i was my favorite things to hunt were fall turkeys and prairie chickens like those were the things that we did and i and we tried to hunt turkeys with a bow for a while which i was a horrible failure at in fact, my one of my most emotional low points in my life was trying to kill a Turkey with a bow. He just stood there, and I ran out of arrows, and he was still standing there. <laughs> I was like, I was like sixteen or something. I, I walked out of there like as dejected as a human being could be. <laughs> he's just my like. I had three arrows with me. I was like the first one under, the second one over, the third one under, and he's still just standing there. We were like in this little tree line, and he was standing in the field, but just like basically fifty. 15, 18 yards away, right there. But I was at this, we didn't use sights at the time. We were freehanding it. And I was pretty decent with that on like a level surface, but I was like below him. So it was like an angle and, oh my gosh, it was awful. Anyway, I had so many good hunting, turkey hunting places back there where I grew up and where I'm at now, I just don't. I just don't, I don't have those places. And I know where there's some turkeys on public. I'm just lazy about it kind of, and not that motivated. For whatever reason, I imagine at some point I will get hardcore back into it. I
1: mean, yeah, I mean, I just I like it because, and granted, I you know I have private spots that I am (laughs) blessed to be able to hunt. Um, But you know, you go out, you can find morels, you can find antlers, you can find sheds, and then you got wood ducks zipping through the woods. I mean, it's just, yeah,
2: it's,
1: it's nice before the summer doldrums really set
2: in. So, no doubt. No doubt. You do a great job with it. You get them in close and your videos are something is like turkey videos from a waterfowl channel. I know you've had a couple do well, but generally speaking, it seems like turkey videos just don't do well. And uh, it doesn't make sense to me. Like your your turkey videos are really, really good. And the kills that you get on there are really, really good. And I don't know. It's weird.
1: Yeah, I mean, turkey hunting is a whole different ball game. So I think it's just, you know, YouTube pigeonholes you on that stuff, but Oh, well, I mean, it's just like fishing.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: But I guess back to the sand Hills. Um, what, what, um, what questions do you have for me about it? I mean, what, so you've never, you know, let's, let's set the stage here. You never waterfowl hunted the sand Hills. Um, I want, I want to get what your expectations are and what, like, what are, what are you thinking? What, what's your emotions going into it?
2: Right. So I have been wanting to, I went, I did one hunt in the sand hills and it was like a par a pond that felt like any place in Kansas. So it's like, I, I don't want to, <laughs> it's like, uh, hunting the sand hills to me is not like a pond surrounded by timber. You know, <laughs> it's like, I it happened to be in the sand hills, but it wasn't Sandhills, but And I've just wanted to hunt the sandhills for waterfowl for many, many years. But by the time that I really got hardcore into waterfowl hunting, I was just starting uh, college and I was playing baseball. And so kind of all of the times that we were spending going into the sandhills were kind of fading out and fall was just a really tough time with college and everything that it was really hard, hard for me to do it. Um, but it's been like, I guarantee you on the duck on podcast multiple times, I've said it's my number one bucket list hunt. Um, so my, my expectations, I mean, are that just to be in the sandhills and I know we'll shoot ducks cause I'm with you and you always kill them up there. So <laughs> I'm not, I'm not really overly <laughs> worried about success. I, I guess like my question would be because I've been up there and there's lots of water. In the sand. So A lot of little holes, a lot of little places. How do you select the places that you hunt? And also, I have noticed that there, you've talked about it's a little hard to hide in them. So, like, what is the plan for hiding? How do you pick your spots? Are there differences in, in your decoy setups versus, like, a shallow water marsh? Or is it just kind of the same? I guess those would be the first questions that come to mind.
1: Yes, so I guess uh, I'll start out. First and foremost, scouting is paramount um i mean you could i guess you could probably just point out a spot on the map and maybe do well but for whatever reason there'll be like some ponds that they just absolutely love and they just pile in there and then other ones they won't touch you know different vegetation um some of them can have higher you know they might be like kind of more alkali so that you know scouting scouting is a big key and it's not just ducks in general or geese in general as to what they won't touch it because it's like some species will use a pond some species won't like you won't you just won't see them and or even areas on it like you might see wood ducks in one spot on this one pond but you won't see them anywhere else so you scouting just scouting and experience um is is very important in the sandhills and you need to be highly adaptable um in terms of both access and a like a decoy spread and even a hide um like i said you know the sand hills, the primary use of it is grazing so if you're hunting private or even there can be some public areas too that can be grazed um and the cows can mow down you know mow down cover pretty pretty extensively uh so y- you know, you maybe take an A-frame, or you try to use shadow to your advantage if you can. Um, try to find cover that hasn't been touched. It and it varies. You know, last year it was really tough with the drought year. Um, anything that could have been grazed was, even stuff that wasn't grazed, didn't grow up as tall. Um, and some ponds, they you know, they drop three five feet, so you have a big mud flat basically, and so you're setting that far, that much further back from the water. And mm-hmm. that water shallower, there might be more vegetation, which really, I don't like to mess with like jerk rigs in high vegetation areas like that. It's just gets tangled up. It's not worth my time. Kind of how I, it, you know, operate on that. But, um, so hide, you know, we, we've done a frames. I, I'm particularly fond of, if I can, cattails, that's mm-hmm. pretty much anywhere I hunt though. They're, they're just easy to hide in. Um, you try to play the sun angle to the best of your advantage you know it rises in the east kind of is in the uh, southern part of the sky this time of year so if you can have the sun at your back kind of facing north now granted you know when you get cold fronts the wind is from the opposite direction and um i i will try to prioritize the wind direction over sun if i can like if my hides fine and i've got a good front cover that sun's just gonna shadow me in mm-hmm. um so if i can have the wind at my back or kind of a side wind i'll crosswind i'll do that um and then hide or sorry and then <laughs> a decoy spread you know like this weekend i took out three dozen coots on one hunt and then i took a dozen coots out on another and a dozen geese and then Today I had three dozen coots again with widgeon and pintail and a couple mallards and geese. So it just you, you kind of have to be like it looks more natural to them if you have mixed species out mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you know other other places it could just be a lot of coots and there'll be a few maybe some divers mixed in there or something else. It, it's just really you got you got to really rely on your scouting. And it can vary from, you know, even just week to week because it could be 90 degrees opening weekend. And then the next week and cold front rolls through and it could snow. I mean, you you never really know. Um, It's it's highly variable, I guess, would be the best way to answer all that.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, So for next weekend, are you using your scouting and what you know from this past weekend or are you going to do fresh scouting?
1: I'm gonna do fresh scouting, so I took off work the day before you show up, and then I'm gonna do a probably a scout hunt the day you will show up, and then we'll we'll go out in the afternoon too. Um, and that's yeah, we should uh, we should be able to uh, find find you some birds at least for an afternoon hunt. Which, I, granted, I haven't haven't done a lot of afternoon hunting, but with the weather conditions, I'm not worried about it. I think. Um, we should have some fresh birds in the area. And even if we have some stale birds in the area, they'll get, you know, shook up with the conditions.
2: Yeah. Um, and these are public areas, right?
1: Uh, public and private. We we might have access to both.
2: So, yeah, cool. So you're going to go out hunting Friday morning and kind of scout and hunt. And then what time do you would be ideal for me to be, if I was there by like 12 or one, is that too late on Friday? Mm.
1: Yeah. twelve, twelve 12 or one would be probably pretty good. That'd work out pretty well. I think
2: I got to figure out oh. how far away it is for me. Cause I'm trying to, I, I may just get up at like, like it's a hunt day, wake up at whatever time I need to be there by 11, 12 ish. Cause I'm, I, I think it's like seven. I'm not exactly sure how many hours it is. I need to, off air yeah, I ask you exactly what yeah, yeah, <laughs> we we're not gonna give that up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, I think I think that should be plenty of time and I'm I'm kind of excited to hunt these conditions. Um because I've I mean I've hunted fronts before, but I've not hunted like a cold front with the rain like they're saying for quite a while. So Mm -hmm. I know the last time that I can remember we did it, um, we shot a two man in like 30 minutes. So,
2: right. What, when's the bulk of the front coming exactly Thursday or during the day, uh, Friday, morning, afternoon, you know,
1: I think it's thunderstorms, possibly Wednesday night into Thursday and then rain all Thursday, I think. And then even into Friday. So, wow. Yeah. I'll have to look at the forecast again before, but. I think that's what they're
2: saying. Georgie's going to have to suck it up. She's not a big fan of the rain, but I've never had a dog <laughs> that was a big fan of the rain, but she's a little baby about the rain. That's one thing about her is like the, the cold and the rain. She seems to be a little bit of a baby about
1: well, hopefully we can keep her warm by sending her out to retrieve. Yeah.
2: yeah. She, she'll be, she'll be just fine. I, I love the idea of us being on a hunt and me just hunting and you being my personal cameraman. That sounds awesome.
1: Yeah. Hey, I, so I kind of did that last year. I was with my buddy, uh, my buddy Bryce and I limited out on mallards. I still had a bonus stuff to shoot, but I was just filming him, watching him shoot mallards and that was a really enjoyable hunt. I mean, just, I guess it was kind of two hunts because we picked up and moved to a different spot, but it was just really cool. Kind of, you know, take a step back and don't worry about anything else. Just watching the birds even more than we already do. So hopefully I
2: can (laughs) shoot a limit and then (laughs) just watch, watch you. Yeah, that, that is really enjoyable. I had a, I had a morning where my dad and I went out, um, we were on this hot streak of, it was my season three. We were on this hot streak of mallards in this hole. You've hunted this hole. It's uh, You hunted it with Jordan and Thomas one day, oh, that whole okay. pool. And uh, we are just crushing the mallards in November in this place. And I shot my limit. My dad couldn't hunt. So he filmed me, shoot my limit in the morning, and then Dan was coming out like at 11. So we just made a fire, cooked a bunch of duck on, on the fire, ate a bunch of it. And then Dan rolled in about 11. And then I just filmed him on that hunt. And that whole thing was just so much fun. It's like you just, a, you're stretching out the enjoyment. And when you've already have a limit under your belt and you're just sitting there and filming, cause you're already satisfied. and it, Yeah. That's a really, really fun. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully we can uh, get her done. We got,
1: still got to figure out what we're doing for uh, accommodations or lodging <laughs>
2: I think we should do the Airbnb. The more I've been thinking about it, I think it's worth the extra money to do the Airbnb because we're going to have couches. We're going to have, um, and if it's raining, we're going to have probably washer and dryers and place to clean the birds, place to organize our stuff, being crammed in a hotel room with all waterfowl gear and camera equipment. That's pretty tight. And a dog.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's I'm not too, I think either one would work, but yeah, I'm with you on having a kitchen and, a little better accommodations
2: right then we can cook duck and even save some money on food and yeah so
1: yeah i've uh i'm whipping up actually i got to do that uh well tomorrow i'm gonna whip up a big batch of i'm making you some duck chili Mm, for uh for friday i am bringing cinnamon rolls for it too hey if i'm
2: with you i will drop that cinnamon roll right in it
1: you, you got to drown it. You put the cinnamon roll in the bowl and then you s- just smother that thing with chili.
2: So I will, I will, if you're making it and you're doing that, I will eat it. Nebraska Matt style. hundred percent. All right. <laughs> and I'll probably love it. I imagine.
1: <laughs> yep. A lot of people, you know, they're, they're hesitant at first and then once they try it, they're, they're fans. So I'm, I'm interested to get your reaction to it.
2: Yeah. I wonder what's how many States that's a thing because I know Nebraska is the only state I know of. That that's like a thing where you just take cinnamon rolls and, drop it clear down in the chili with icing on it and everything. And there's gotta be, a, it can't just only be Nebraska.
1: No, I, I think Iowa partially does. I don't really like to give Iowa a lot of credit about anything, but <laughs> I will give them a little credit here.
2: <laughs> You're an Iowa <laughs> hater. What for?
1: Football. I mean, yeah, just football. Nebraska (laughs) and Iowa always have had kind of a state rivalry. Like also, you know, Nebraska and Colorado, we don't really like them either. So (laughs) a lot of it's football, but we just got to talk a little crap to them. It's like Kansas
2: and Missouri type of thing. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, (laughs) that's great.
1: But no, it it should be a, a good time. It's. Gonna, I know the work week's gonna drag on a little bit until we get back to it, but honestly, after these last three days, I could use the the time off to kind of, I'm like sore, so I feel (laughs) just, just, yeah, my whole body aches, but I'm gonna sleep good tonight.
2: So, let me look at the app and just really quick, let me filter this by the last three days and see what your numbers were. Over these last three days, it's going to be pretty good. I got a feeling, isn't it?
1: It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't bad. I haven't put my shots bad. in from today. I have to go through the shot cam. I didn't have the greatest day shooting today,
2: but. All right. So th- you were three hunts, 18 birds. You shot 66.6%. Seven Green Wings, four Gadwalls, two Mallard Drakes, one Blue Wing Teal, one Redhead, one Ring Neck, one Wigeon Drake, one widgeon Hens. Yeah, that's a good three days right there. We you didn't shoot very well. Oh, you haven't? Hold on. Did you log today's? You just didn't put in the I logged shots?
1: today's. I haven't put the shots in yet.
2: But oh, okay.
1: To, yeah, I haven't like downloaded any of the footage on my computer, so usually I just go through my shot cam and that's how I count shots.
2: Oh, nice. So I, I'm yeah. so used to doing it that I just, I can't not count it. I can't, I couldn't, I couldn't not keep track of it in my mind if I tried.
1: Yeah. I, yeah, I was trying to today and I was like, yeah, I'll just go, <laughs> go through and count it out tomorrow or later today when I'm so uploading. You probably
2: but, then if you had a poor shooting day today, then shooting, it's probably somewhere in the forties or fifties, probably low fifties, maybe for the whole three days.
1: I, yeah, I guess it's probably fifties. I probably shot between 40 and 50 today. So
2: yeah <clears throat> which isn't bad but you know those of you that have never kept your shooting percentage, it's certainly not for most people don't like the the mon- don't like having to count shells cuz it is it takes a lot of effort to keep track of your shells it really does but if you like doing it it's really fun and really rewarding if and it makes you it like you purposely don't shoot bad shots. If you start getting into it, there's so many benefits of, of keeping track of your um, shooting percentage. But like I said, there's most people I would say just can't, don't want to be that um worry about it. That like that.
1: Yeah. See, I I'm pretty analytical about mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I haven't, I haven't really done it more than just uh, doubles and triples and stuff in the past, but I really, this year I've really embraced it and I'm, I'm having fun. Like I'm trying to, like, I'm <laughs> just trying to see how high I can, I, I'm curious how I'll end up at the end of the season, honestly. Um, So, and I've, I already have noticed like, yeah, that's probably not a high, even a, you know, a high percentage shot. So just right. a pass on that one. So. Yeah,
2: it 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 limits your third shot. When you really get into shooting percentage, you automatically start controlling your third shots a lot a lot better, which makes a huge difference. Um, when you do that, I I got into it, um, and then I just started playing playing games with myself, like, okay, I want to make sure I'm shooting fifty percent every year, and then I was like, can I hit sixty percent? Then I hit sixty percent two years in a row, and like, hmm, I wonder. if some of you, I could hit 70%, which I don't think I can. I'm not, I don't think I'm a good enough shooter, even as, even as conservative as I am about my shot selection. I don't think I'm a good enough shooter to, um, to pull 70%, but it's just, it, it just snowballs on you. Um, if you get into it, cause it, it's, cause I'm at a local, you know, I love numbers. I created the whole app just because I love numbers so much which if you want to get the app, it's the North American com or on iOS and Android, just search the North American waterfowler app to keep all this stuff. But, but yeah, I'm it's fun.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm having, <laughs> it, it is pretty good time. And it, I like, cause I mean, I have my duck journal and I've been doing that since, well, I think this is my 12th, 12th year, 11, uh, 11th, 12th year now where I've, you know, just keep record all my hunts. Um, but it makes it a lot easier just to look and see what, you know, that species breakdown. I really like seeing that is, you know, what total species I've shot up to this point in the season. And Mm -hmm. that's really cool too.
2: It is. It is really cool. And I love keeping track of the different hunt locations. Like my favorite place I was telling you about a little bit ago that you've hunted, it's like, I love watching exactly my numbers at that. That's the best. I've shot more ducks at that place than ever. My, my bird per hunt average is better there than any other place in that, in that complex. And it's just that though, that type of intimate knowledge of your hunting, like which spot you're doing, I can go in there like, Hmm, how do I do at that place on North wind, sunny days at this temperature. And once you get a lot of data in there, and I don't know if you've done this or not but once you get a lot of data in there you can like micro break down what how you perform on certain holes with all sorts of different weather and temperature variables and i love just spending time off season or whatever just like breaking all that stuff down and and looking carefully at it that's one of my favorite things of the whole the whole system
1: yeah and i mean you've got all the the data where you can can is it available it's available to like everyone though you can see their data not the location obviously but how they how people do on sunny days versus cloudy days or stuff that's for everyone to see
2: anyone who logs a hunt on it it goes in so under there's under lifetime stats there's a group tab and it doesn't tell you people in people's names at all or no i'm sorry it's not group it's global group is all the people you hunt with it's a global uh statistic and so you can't see hunt locations you can't see anyone's personal name but you can see all of what was logged like this year, there's been 689 hunts logged. And then you can go in and break those down by weather variables too, which is interesting because generally people do better on sunny than, than cloudy based on the glo- global numbers, but it's not as significant as significant as you would think. But for me, I actually year after year do better on cloudy days than sunny. And I, I don't know why that is, but the biggest factor of success, if you go through the global or your or my own personal if you sort by wind, that is the number one factor of success. If you get a wind that's below six miles an hour, the global numbers, my numbers, the flyways numbers just significantly drop off, which we all know this, but it's nice to have the numbers to look at and see, because once I started using motion ducks, my, I can, I I can track that and, and, um, my numbers on windless days have improved when I've gone small sets motion ducks, it actually makes a difference, but all, all of those types of analytics, you can, if you get in, and a lot of people don't get into the weeds of the filters because it does take a little time to to figure out how to work it all. Cause they're pretty intricate. But to me personally, that's where I get the most enjoyment out of on the app is, is all of those fine little things that you can do in the filter system.
1: Yeah, it's, it's very cool app for sure. Um. <laughs> Well, do you have anything else to add, Elliot? I, I guess we're only at 45 minutes, but I think we pretty
2: much fleshed most of it out. Yeah, I think so. I'm, try, I'm trying to think. Oh, you know, I wanted to ask you about um, about the the, cute, the, the oh. cute decoys. So you took out only coot decoys, and it was three dozen of them? No,
1: I, I had other. Um, so opener, I took out three dozen coot decoys, and then a dozen combination of widgeon and pintail. I wanted how the, how uh, many?
2: How many pintail did you take?
1: Uh, six each,
2: and okay. then two swans. So four dozen. Three of them were coots. Three dozen were coots, and then a few swans. And tell me your perception of: Did you notice any difference at all, or how'd that work?
1: I mean, I, I'm, <laughs> I, I like to have my swans out there. If I've seen swans once again scouting, they're big, they're bright, and they're white. And actually, decoy. I would say decoyed a pair of swans into. I bet they were forty yards away. Um, they they landed far and then swam pretty close. Nice. Uh, Did you get a good problem, video of that? Yeah, I've I've got oh, some really great. cool swan footage. I awesome. love seeing them. Awesome. <laughs> I, I I even I even had a mouth call. Uh, one of them like they were sitting That's there it. and they were talking and then I was going ah They're like <laughs> I you know I, I tried to imitate what he was doing and so we were having a conversation even though I didn't know what he was saying so. <laughs> nice. it, it was pretty fun, um, but yeah, I like having those because I mean they they stick out, and then the coots, though obviously those there's there's coots everywhere, um, mm-hmm. and I've lost many battles over the years to giant rafts of coots. And actually, yesterday and the day before, there was coot rafts out in the middle. And even with my decoy spread, I still lost a lot of the battles. Mm -hmm. Like they, all the ducks that I did see flying would go land with the coots or most of them, I guess I should say, but every now and then, you know, you get some to come in and look at you. Um, Lack of wind really, really played a factor too. So, but I I do, I do like the coot decoys. Um, Not a lot of people use them. They have a good contrast in these, the new f a coots um they're a lot smaller than my old ones. I had the g h g oversized coots, and those are almost as big as mallards mm-hmm. and these these new f a ones are actually what I would say life sized coots are they're just a little bit bigger than a teal, and so I can haul basically all three dozen of them just like i like like I do teal decoys they they don't take up as much space and they're not near as heavy, so I really like like those um <laughs> And yeah. I, I can't say that they haven't worked. They, you know, I shot limits over coot decoys the last three days. So
2: I'm interested to see um, over time, how you feel about those. I know you've used a few cute decoys in the past. And I think that the black is always good in your spread, but, but like you're saying, it's like when coots are really harmful, it's when they're in massive rafts. We had it happen to us Saturday where we're in this pool and there's this huge raft of coots and, that's where all the teal went. I mean, well, not. I mean, we would get a few little spinoffs, but we just couldn't battle that raft. But I've never seen a small, I've never seen like two, three dozen coots coot out in a pool <laughs> bother my hunt. It's like, it's when you get a couple hundred, you know, is when it really starts sucking the ducks in. It's how I've always felt about it. Um, so I'm interested with that three dozen and how you feel like it does over time.
1: I think. Yeah, I'll, you know, I'm just experimenting with it. I lately I've been just throwing my pulsator out there in the middle of it to get it to splash. Cause I mean, mm-hmm. if you ever watch a coot raft, it's just constant movement. There's water splashing everywhere. So if I could figure out a way to get that to imitate that, like especially on sunny days, get more, more splashing and more motion, you know, obviously if there's no wind, um, I, I want to try to figure out a way to do that. But I haven't <laughs> quite got there yet.
2: Yeah. Well, I will be watching. I'm interested to see how that does. I think I will probably get a dozen. I like the black. It's just a different look. And I guarantee you ducks, when they get wary, are not used to seeing coots in a decoy spread. And I like that idea a lot.
1: Yeah. I Actually, the first time I had coot decoys out, I was hunting some public land on my kayak. And I think it was an afternoon hunt. I get back and there was this old, old guy at the boat ramp. And he was, he must've just been done fishing or going out fishing or something. And he, he just looked at my coot decoys and he chuckled. He's like, why you got those? Are you hunting those? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, I just trying to use them to get ducks in, but yeah. So I, I've been, I've literally
2: been laughed at on public land using coot decoys, but I, uh, I, I swear by them. So. <laughs> I shot a coot on Saturday. There was so many around. And I every like every now and then I will shoot one every now and then if I just kind of get a bug to do it, and my stepson Elijah was not very happy with me. he had really been him out of shape for some reason. <laughs> He's like they're so stupid, you're gonna eat that, and I'm like, yeah, I just wanted to. I just wanted to kill one sometimes it's nice to crush a, a coot
1: see i i will I let him just swim around, and uh usually I'll give them names they <laughs> like i've had' them, I've had' them before where they'll just like they'll go up on land and hang out and sit just a little ways away from me and i'll be like oh this is my coot buddy clarence he's just hanging out with me <laughs> Shh,
0: hopefully <Clarence laughs> a coot.
1: hopefully a duck flies by <clears throat> soon but
2: yeah <laughs> that's great they're such stupid birds we were running up the channel on the boat to get back and we were there was a huge raft of coots in the channel and so we kept pushing them towards the boat ramp and there's a bridge off the end of the boat ramp. And one of those stupid coots flew straight into the underhang of the bridge, just smack square into it, and knocked himself out. It's <laughs> <They're just laughs> such dumb birds, man. They're so stupid. Oh, but
1: yeah, that's so <clears throat> hopefully you will be able to see the magic of the coot decoy this weekend.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, well, I'm excited. We've been talking about this trip for a few months now and it is here. And I, so, yeah, I'm really, really excited to do it. Um, so, and, and, and afterwards, I guess we can probably record like Saturday night. I was thinking, or Saturday Sunday night, probably Sunday night, maybe we'll record a podcast for my, or my podcast, the North American waterfowl, If you guys haven't watched that make sure and come and listen to the North American waterfowl podcast. But I thought maybe while we were up there, we could do a podcast episode.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can, sky's the limit. So
2: sweet. Let's do it.
1: But all right, guys, I think we're going to just call it a podcast there. Be sure to check out Elliot's episodes coming up on once again, the North American waterfowler podcast and stay tuned. You can check out the Facebook group, the Fowl front podcast group and uh, join that. We're starting to get a few more new people in there and give us your honest reviews. I always love hearing your guys's feedback and criticisms. So, um,